Okay, good morning everyone. Good to see you. If you've not met me, my name is Stuart, leader of the church here. Very warm welcome to you. If you have a Bible, could you please go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We are going to get back in there with our sermon series. Now, if you haven't been around, just let me explain where we've been. We started a new sermon series uh, three weeks ago now, um, hashtag blessed, where we're looking at uh, the Beatitudes from the beginning of Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. We started the year looking at Psalm 23, another shepherd who walks with us, and now into the Beatitudes, we're actually hearing from that shepherd and look, learning what it means to walk alongside him. The reason we've called uh, the sermon series hashtag blessed is what we're looking at is what Jesus calls blessed as opposed to what the world calls blessed. If you go onto the internet, particularly social media, you find this phrase hashtag blessed comes up literally millions of times, depending on which platform you're on. But we find that what people talk about when they're blessed is basically the things of this world, possessions, careers, even relationships, holidays, and what we're looking at is what Jesus calls blessed and find out that there is a contradiction with what the world calls blessed and what Jesus calls blessed. Jesus brings, brought his kingdom in, but it's an upside down kingdom. So it does not work the way of the world. What we've seen at the outset of this series, we looked at verses 1 and 2 of Matthew chapter 5. And we saw that Matthew has framed Jesus as a new Moses who is coming to lead his people, not out of slavery to Egypt, but slavery to sin. And he has come to proclaim to them freedom in the form of a new law he is declaring from the mountain, like Moses received the law of God from the mountain. And we see it outworked in the Sermon on the Mount. And if you go through the Gospel of Matthew, it comes again and again in blocks of teaching. But we'll be looking at this first one. So Jesus has come as a new Moses to proclaim a new law to his people. And he is using this word blessed, which is from the Latin betas, which means happy or blissful. And we focus in what this word blessed means. It's not an easy word to translate into our English language from the Greek uh, that it would have been written in. But what we've seen is this word blessed is something more than just simply happy. It talks about flourishing in the kingdom of God. So when you are blessed, as Jesus would describe it, you are flourishing in his kingdom. And we saw this in Psalm 1 verse 1. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it begins like this. It says, blessed, same word, is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season his leaf does not wither in all that he does he prospers so to be blessed as Jesus described it is to flourish and grow and bear fruit in his kingdom that's what it means that's what we're looking at and Jesus outlines it here in the Beatitudes if you've missed any of the previous stuff please catch up it's online but what we've seen the first Beatitude Jesus says blessed are the poor in spirit and we looked at the fact that we are blessed, we flourish and grow when we recognize our need for Jesus, when we recognize our spiritual poverty before God and we cry out to him and then we receive the kingdom of God. Then we saw last week that blessed are those who mourn and we found out we're hashtag blessed when we grieve the presence and effects of sin 
in our life and the world around us. That is what we're mourning for. Our failure before God, the world's brokenness, our own brokenness, weakness, frailty. And as we cry out to God, we are then comforted. And so as what we're going to look at today as a result of recognizing our spiritual poverty, mourning over our sin, we find out this week that there is an attitude that comes alongside that of humility that we will examine today. But we're going to start by reading the passage, so hopefully you've found Matthew 5 verses 1 to 12 now. They're going to appear on the screen behind you and we're going to read them all out loud together. I'm going to move over here. Sorry, Delta, I'm going to be kind of, you can work around around me, can't you? So what we're going to do, I'm going to count you in. We're going to read through all together out loud, Matthew 5, 1 to 12. So, 3, 2, 1, go. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay. All right. Big idea for this morning. Big idea for this morning. I am hashtag blessed when I walk in humility, content with what I have and who I am. I am blessed when I walk in humility, content with what I have, what I have sorry, and who I am. What we're going to look at is the third um, beatitude. Uh, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And I've asked Paul to come and help me there. We had Aaron last week and Ben the week before. He's going to come and look at the first half of that beatitude, and then I will pick up the second half uh, when we bring it into land. So over to you, Paul. Please don't whoop. Okay. So, yes, hello. Um, as Stuart said, my name is Paul, if you have not met me already. Um, I'm married to Kay, and who leads one of the kids' work teams here. Um, we've been coming to real life for about six years now, I think. Yeah, I'm rubbish with dates. Um, so, and in that time, I've been involved in the band and on the Alpha team. Uh, I've also served on the AV team, which I lead. So, if you can't hear me, do let me know. I'll do something about it. So... Um, Here we go. So, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So, what does that mean? So, as Stuart said, we're breaking it into two halves. I'm going to be looking at blessed are the meek. But first, it's worth reminding ourselves, again, of the meaning of the two words in the middle, for they. So, in this context, it's saying that it's only the meek who shall receive the inheritance that Jesus is referring to. So, today, we're looking at who are the meek. The Collins Dictionary 
defines meek as gentle, quiet, likely to do what other people say, submissive, yielding, gentle, and soft. So by today's standards, it sounds like Jesus is telling us that in order to be hashtag blessed, we need to be quiet, submissive, and soft. But we've already heard how the Beatitudes are counter-cultural, upside down, topsy-turvy. So you might already be wondering how being quiet, submissive, and soft is a good thing. However, as with the other Beatitudes, and in fact the whole Bible, we need to look at context of what's being written. Today's context, being meek, is probably the antithesis of how the world says we should live and act in order to gain recognition, to succeed, and ultimately be content with our lives. Meekness sounds like it would get you nowhere, as someone with these characteristics could easily be ignored, pushed to the side, or even used as a stepping stone for someone else's success. success. But as we are beginning to be aware, the Beatitudes, Jesus is turning our understanding of the world upside down. And in this verse, we're given an opportunity to rediscover our identity, to align our lives, our desires, our priorities with those of heaven. It's here that we find the hashtag blessed life as God intended for his people. So what does the Bible tell us about the word meek? It's taken from the Greek word praeus, which means to be gentle, humble, considerate, self-controlled. It can be used to describe an animal, for example, which has been trained and domesticated. So someone who is praeus has every instinct and every passion under control and can live under authority. So in reality, having every instinct and passion under control actually requires a lot of strength. Not physical or muscular, but a strength of character. So as Christians, when we live under the authority of God, we live in a place of security, with an understanding of our identity in Christ, not in society. It's not that we're asked to think less of ourselves, but we're asked to think of ourselves less or as Paul puts it in Philippians 2 verse 3 to think of others greater than yourself there are only two people in the Bible who are explicitly described by the word Jesus uses here the first is Moses in Numbers chapter 12 Moses is described as being humble the same word for meek more than any other man on the earth now you might be sat there thinking back to the story of Moses and wondering but Didn't Moses kill someone and try and get away with it? You would be right. But there is a distinct difference between Moses the murderer and Moses the meek. From the outset, Moses knew he was destined for greatness. He knew he was part of a plan to release the Israelites from captivity. But in a moment of apparent anger, he made a bad choice and took matters into his own hands to kill the Egyptian man. Afraid, Moses fled, became a humble shepherd, got married and settled into a life that was far from what he thought it would be. Now, it was 40 years later, at the age of 80, that God appeared in a burning bush to a now humbled Moses and recommissions him to return to Egypt to set the captives free. Moses now knows his own limitations and weaknesses, but God knows his heart 
and assures him by saying, I will be with you. And this will be my sign to you that it is I who have sent you. Moses is now living as someone who is prayus, with his instincts and passions under control, living under God's authority. He is now living hashtag blessed. Now the second person specifically referred to in the Bible as meek is... Is... Thank you. Yes, it is. In Matthew 11, Jesus describes himself as being gentle and humble in heart. Humble again, being meek. So it's abundantly clear that being meek does not mean being weak. As Daryl Johnson puts it in his book, we can be sure that the third beatitude is not blessed are the doormats or blessed are the wimps. Even the incarnation of Jesus in Matthew 21 was an act of meekness, born in a stable, out of the limelight. It's almost as if he doesn't want to be found, but at the same time wants us to find him. Jesus was a true embodiment of meekness. Throughout his whole public ministry, Jesus lived out the perfect example of what it means to be meek. In 1 Peter 2, 23, gives us an example of Jesus showing patience and sensitivity. And again in 1 Peter 3, verse 4, Jesus is described as gentle. Fast forward to his torture and death, and we see he was spat upon, but did not spit back. He was beaten but never once raised a fist in retaliation. He was mocked, but never said a foul word against anyone. He was hated, but only ever showed love in return. This truly blessed life was nailed to a cross, and this is where we find Jesus at his poorest and meekest. On the cross, Jesus gave everything to us, but meekness must not be confused with weakness. Jesus was the meekest man that ever lived, but there was nothing weak about him. His life was so countercultural that even while standing at the foot of the cross on the hill of Calvary, the Roman soldiers were so in awe that they uttered, truly this was the Son of God. So looking back at our passage in Matthew, Jesus is found on a different hill, speaking to his followers, speaking to us, and calling us to live out his example of meekness in the world. And as people of God... We should fight against our desire for power and to dominate others in our interactions, in our relationships. We need to see a dip to be different compared to others around us who rely on anger, physical strength for power and authority. Meekness is, by contrast, a greater show of strength. So this idea of contrasting opinions of strength is and success is not new. However, Jesus uttered... When he uttered, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, many of the followers listening would have been reminded of Psalm 37, which says, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. So with the inclusion of the word but, David, the psalmist, is referring back to the problem of the apparent success of people who ignore and disobey God. He's aware that these types of pushy, power-wielding, self-asserting, controlling people who seem to win at life. In his opinion, the dishonest do often seem to have more than the honest. In the psalm, David is describing the meek as those who show humility and acceptance for a life lived not by our own strength and power, but in God's. 
We are to trust in the Lord, to do good in the face of evil, cultivate faithfulness, delight ourselves in the Lord, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. On face value, this sounds like it could be quite easy. But in the real world, on a daily basis, we stand against others who do not share the same mindset. David refers to these people as evildoers, or as the message translation puts it, the bad guys who have it in for the good guys. David, however, clarifies that the meek do not worry, fear, or envy because of them. They cease from anger and forsake wrath, and they depart from evil. He writes about the plans of the wicked, the arrogant, the dishonest. But get this, do you know what God does to these plans? In verse 13, it says that God simply laughs at them. God knows their plans, but he also knows ours. As Christians, our hope is in a different way of life, both now and eternally. Our kingdom is not of this world, and our lives are not governed by our job title, our salary, how big our house is, or whether our children have the latest gadget or game. Being meek is a sign that the gospel has taken root in our lives and is helping us to be more like Jesus. It's only when we receive Jesus into our lives that we are able to begin to be like him. We live in the beautiful realization of the kingdom of God. We no longer need to grapple for greatness, struggle for success. We no longer need to push for peace or prosperity or fight for fame. The moment you and I are adopted through Jesus, all of God's wealth becomes ours. We receive our true inheritance. So you might be listening and thinking, I'm no Moses. I'm certainly not Jesus. You'd be right. You're not. But get this. Whilst Moses and Jesus are described as being meek, the Apostle Paul encourages us that we can be like them in our meekness. Paul writes about meekness more than anyone. In fact, he mentions it nine different places in his letters. It's clear that he values meekness highly and is looking to live it out himself and encourage others to do the same. So his letter to the Colossians, we're told to put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, gentleness, also meekness, and patience. He goes on to list the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, meekness again, and self-control. You guessed it, meekness. It is therefore clear that being meek is not only demonstrated to us by Moses and Jesus, it is encouraged for us by Paul and is made possible in us by the Holy Spirit. This gentle person is not occupied with themselves at all. As Galatians 5.25 tells us, this is a work of the Holy Spirit not of the human will. There is a gentle strength governed by the Holy Spirit which enables us all to show great power in our meekness and humility towards a life under God's authority. It is because of the Holy Spirit that we accept this way of life, his call, his leading for our lives, all without resisting. We are able to fully depend on God rather than walk this life in our own abilities and strength. We truly become the meek who shall inherit the earth. The meek have strength because they know they don't have strength. The meek know they are not 
because they know and submit to the I am. I'll hand you back to Stuart. Okay, blessed are the meek. I'm going to look out for they shall inherit the earth. The second half of Jesus saying, so we, are, we will flourish. We are hashtag blessed when we recognize our spiritual poverty, when we mourn for the sin in our lives, and then when, as a result of that, we live out an attitude, a lifestyle of meekness before God. And then Jesus says, well, they shall inherit the earth. And so what's that about? Well, we, for they is the exclusive language, they and they alone. And what Jesus is saying, that there is a gain from those who are meek, which is the opposite of the way the world might look at it. For if you ask now who gains in the world, well, it would be the assertive, the proactive, the forceful, the ones who take hold of the day, who climb the ladder. You are successful when you gain. But Jesus says, actually, those who stoop low, those who raise others high, those who are aware of who they are before God, they are the ones who are going to gain. And this just ranks in line with all the other ones we've seen so far. It's the poor who become rich. It's those who are mourn, who, comfort, who are comforted, and now the humble are the ones who gain. So the meek are going to inherit the earth. So there is an encouragement here to those who wish to be meek and to walk in meekness before God. Because there is gain for it. Now, what's Jesus talking about him? Well, if we go back to the promises of Abraham, Jesus gave a promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, and subsequently, I think it's Genesis 15, where he says, actually, you're going to gain, I'm going to bless you, and the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you. I'm going to give you land that you are going to live on, that your offspring are going to have. And this then promise is then inherited by sons, Isaac's son, Jacob, by the 12 tribes of Israel. Then we move through Moses, who we've mentioned under Joshua. They take the land. We looked at that when we studied Joshua. But <laughs> we get the judges, we get the kings, and then the land is then conquered by foreign powers because of the people's sin. And the land is broken, the land is destroyed. The people of God are separated and they are scattered. But then under Nehemiah and Ezra, they return to the land and they settle in it. But then what happens in our current text? Who's in charge of the land? The Romans. So they still, the inheritance promised to Abraham, they still haven't received. They are under occupation to Rome. And what Jesus is saying is there is an inheritance coming for those followers, that is actually greater than just the land that you're living on in a small geographic area. There is a greater inheritance. And he's talking to those who follow him, who are part of the kingdom of God from the first beatitude, who are heirs to the promise of Abraham. And we know we're heirs to the promise of Abraham because Paul says so in Galatians. And he says, actually, those who um, trust in Christ, who follow Christ, they are heirs to the promise um, of Abraham. And so actually, Jesus is saying there is an inheritance coming for the people of God who recognize their poverty, mourn for their sin, walk in meekness before him, and they ultimately will gain all that God has promised for his people. And it goes way beyond a physical land. It doesn't just mean that particular spot on a map. It means the whole earth they will gain. They will gain that as an inheritance for... Um, 
the people of God. What God promised to Abraham will one day be received by all the children of God, and it goes way beyond one little place. There is the earth that's coming to us. And God has given his people an inheritance, and Jesus is promising it to them in this beatitude. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Inheritance just means to receive an allotted portion. To receive an allotted portion. And I want to look at four things quickly. What does it mean to have an inheritance? Well, the first thing is if you are to inherit, you have to be an heir. If you're going to inherit something, you have to be an heir. God's kingdom has a king. The king is Jesus. And the heirs to the king gain the inheritance. Who are the heirs to the king? Glad you asked that. It says in Romans 8, Paul says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We are the children of the King. We saw that in the first beatitude, what it meant to be poor in spirit, to be adopted into his family. We have God as our Father, Jesus as King of the Kingdom, filled with the Holy Spirit. But we are heirs to that Kingdom. Which means we have nothing to prove. If you are an heir to something... You don't have to keep reminding people of it. You are simply the heir. You've met people like that who need to remind you of who they are and what they've got. And one of the reasons that is because they're insecure in it. But we are heirs to the kingdom. We have nothing to worry about. We will receive the inheritance which in us produces a meekness. We're going to inherit the earth. And we'll look at more of that as we go on. But that's what we're going to do. And as heirs to the kingdom, we're going to receive everything from the king. That's what it means to be hashtag blessed. The second thing, inheritance is something that you receive, you do not earn. You do not earn it. It is a grace gift that has been given to those who are the children of God, those who are in the kingdom. Paul underlines this in Ephesians. He says, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And even that faith is not yours. It's a gift of God's. You earn, sorry, you do not earn the inheritance. You just simply receive it. And so as heirs to the kingdom, we will receive an inheritance that we have not earned. Which produces in us that humility. That what makes us hashtag blessed. Something is coming to us That is so incredible, but we have not earned it. An inheritance also speaks of something that is certain. An heir has a legal right to their inheritance. It cannot be taken. They are protected by the laws of the land. That you will receive the inheritance, which means we we do not live in fear of losing it. We do not have to strive. We do not have to fret. We do not have to look around and think, what is going to happen to me? Because we know we have something coming, an inheritance that will never spoil or fade. Your friend, your neighbor, your colleague has a much bigger house and better house than you. Do you know what? My father owns the city in which all those houses sit. Your neighbor's got a nice new car that pulls up. And you think, my dad owns a JLR factory and everyone like it. We have an inheritance coming that is so much greater 
than the things that we see of this earth. We have nothing to fret. We do not have to live in fear of losing it because everything ultimately this world will spoil and fade. And the final thing is an inheritance comes at death. Firstly and foremost, our inheritance was purchased at death by whom? At his death. When Jesus died on a cross and then rose again, he said, it's finished, it's done. The battle against sin has been won. I am victorious. And when he rose into heaven and he sits at the right hand of the Father, he said, it's finished. There will come a day when my kingdom will come in completeness and fullness and nothing can stop it. And we're really merely in a period of waiting for that. We can enjoy now, we can enjoy forgiveness and right standing before God and adoption. We've seen that. But when we look towards the end and our own death, we know there is something greater coming. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And one day you will be with me for ever we know there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth and there'll be no more suffering and no more tears we know that everything will be made new and everything will be better and Jesus is saying you are going to inherit that everything that we see in this world is temporary it's going to be over in a blink of an eye it's my birthday coming soon just drop that in there I'll be 49. No, exactly. No. No way. Do you know what? Yesterday I was 16. I don't know what happened. It's just that's the way life is. It's temporary. It'll move. I'll blink again and I'll be with Jesus. It's that quick and we're building our lives on things that are temporary. Don't blink. Do not build your life on things that are temporary. Build your life on things that last. We have an inheritance coming, so we are hashtag blessed. And when we live in this world now, and the life we live here, we can live in meekness because of our poverty of spirit. We cannot save ourselves because the grief we have over sin in our own life and the world around us We can live in meekness and humility, content with what we have and who we are, wherever we find ourselves in life, whatever's happening, whatever's happening with our neighbor, whatever's happening with our colleagues and our friends, whatever's happening around us, we know ultimately there is an inheritance coming for us that is beyond anything we could ever match in this world. And even if we gained all the treasures of this world, whatever you think they might be, they are nothing compared to what it means to know God and to be with him forever in his new kingdom, new heavens and new earth. And we go back to Jesus, and then I'll hand back to Paul. He says, Jesus never known a home. He never traveled abroad. Never had lots of toys and trinkets. He remained meek throughout his life, yet he gained everything. He gained everything. And we are heirs to that, and we will enjoy that. Amen.
Paul, do you want to come up? Sure. Thanks, Stuart. So, based on what we've learned today about meekness and inheritance, we're just going to take a time before God. Um, whilst preparing, Stuart and I felt there were a few things for some people here. Um, perhaps the band would like to head up. And <clears throat> so the main thing um, that came out of what we were looking at was um, a challenge about living life in this way. And whilst it's easy to look as though we live a life being meek, perhaps we are living a double life where we come to church and we turn up and everything looks good. We thank God for so many things. We, we're pleased for his blessings on our lives. Um, but then we head home, we go to work, and perhaps then we still continue to push hard in fear for not earning enough or acting like others do and using others perhaps as a ladder for our own success. Or maybe when we head home and we're a parent and we get angry at our kids because they're just simply doing what kids do or not doing what we want them to do. Or perhaps it's because they're not in the right class or the right sports group or we wonder if they won't amount to anything. Or do we have a second life with our friends who pressure us to act in a certain way or do a certain thing? Maybe peer pressure is leading you down paths you know aren't particularly right or might make you look weird or out of place if you didn't follow. Or maybe you have a list of priorities on the fridge of things you need to do in your life, but it's not making your life work in the way that we've seen today. Perhaps you need to be recommissioned to the purpose that God has called you for. Uh, like Moses, do you feel like your life has now settled? Perhaps there was something you've done in the past that you feel has stopped God's plan for your life. Perhaps you need that burning bush moment, and that could be today. And lastly, do you just need more of the Holy Spirit to make this work, to make your lives meek? The Holy Spirit can and will do this. And we believe today there's a chance to just be filled again, to realign your life and your purposes, to be challenged to not have two lives in this room and out of this room. Stuart. Amen. Do you want to just stand up? If you can. Thank you. I'd love just to pray for us and then we're going to spend some time worshipping and responding in song to Jesus. So here's a question for you just to ponder. Are you living for your inheritance? Are you living for your inheritance? what is to come if you're not a Christian here you don't know Jesus then to be blunt you don't have an inheritance but you can you definitely can if you come to Jesus you turn away from living your own life you repent of your sin and you put your faith and trust in him you can 
And so I urge you to do that today. If you'd love to talk to me about it, I'd love to talk to you. But if you do know Jesus, are you living for your inheritance today? And one of the things I'd love us to do out of this is for you to maybe take a moment and make your confession to him. What are you living for? Who are you living for? To turn to fix your eyes on him. One of the things that struck me, it's always great when you talk about humility. How good are you at humility? Oh, I'm amazing at it. <laughs> How do you frame that? We all want to be better, <laughs> more humble, more meek. And I just struck me as I was thinking and praying this morning is actually, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the one who embodied it fully and perfectly. And so I'd love us to just spend a moment here and just make that commitment to maybe close your eyes, maybe open your hand and put your eyes on Jesus. Be reminded of who he is. The great sovereign God of the universe. Yet came, born as a baby in a stable, in a nowhere backwater place. Walked the earth, rejected, despised, misunderstood. When, when enemies came against him, he dealt with them graciously without losing it. One of my boys pointed out to me that that line when Jesus got arrested, Jesus could have called on like thousands, ten thousands of angels. And he said, they, Jesus could have just obliterated them all. I was like, yeah, he could. But he didn't. His strength was under control. And he was following the plan of his father. Following the plan of his father. And then he died on the cross, horrifically rejected. And he rose again victorious. Holy Spirit of God, I pray, I ask you, come fill us now that we would be more like Jesus. Lord God, where we fail, where we strive, where we fret, where we fear, where we're jealous and we're not content, God, we pray deal with us. Lord, I repent of my sin. Lord, I try to <laughs> control the circumstances around me where I misuse my strength, my authority, my position, where I fear the loss of earthly things over and above heavenly things. Lord, forgive me. Lord God, I pray, fill me with the Spirit that I might be more like Jesus, that I might walk more like Him, that I might talk more like Him, that I might live more like Him, that I might be more like Him, that the fruit of love joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control will be more evident in my life tomorrow than it was today, Lord Jesus. Lord, we love you. And God's people said, Amen.